Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. <laughs> um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate, I already hate it. I hate it. All right, hello, and welcome back to another episode of not go big orange friday because we're not taking this on fridays anymore because tennessee football is back and this is the recap show that we do each and every sunday night here in east tennessee where the tennessee volunteers are two and oh after surviving the many who have talked about this many were worried going into this week what happens when the governors come into neyland stadium what could happen we were all nervous we were all shaky we were all concerned about I mean, what this could potentially look at, look like rather, because you take those uh, Scott fighting Scott, Scotty Waldens lightly, you never know what can happen. They got area codes on their helmets, taking over the TriStar like they're Tennessee's team. You don't know where it's going. They're all jacked up, running on fourth and three, just acting like it's just 1995, and they're Nebraska running the triple. Looked like Nebraska in the red and white in the first quarter. Fall fans in a frenzy. Look at any Tennessee message board over the last 24 hours and lose your absolute mind. We're like 15 minutes removed from Chris Cole picking the Georgia Bulldogs, the four-star linebacker out of Salem, Virginia. He like rode up to Tennessee with the linebackers coach over the weekend. He was there getting into it. Still didn't pick Tennessee. There's a cursed article on on three that highlights what lies ahead. This last little surge for the Vols. They might not get any of them. Not looking that way. Can we not talk about recruiting in a preamble in the middle of football season? Well, hold on. I, I was almost done. I, I, I'm just saying, like, this is where we're at right now for so many Vol fans who there's a splintering of the fan base right now about which direction. Are they going vanilla? Was it actually just fine? Are the Vols going to just turn it all on in the swamp to parse through all of what's happened and what's to come over the next Seven days here. Rocky Top Insiders, Ryan Shumpert is here. Ryan, good evening. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm glad you gave Austin P uh, and her coach kind of a shout out in the intro because mm. Austin P was kind of electric. Like, <laughs> Tennessee, Tennessee didn't play well. 
But there were so many things about Austin P that were electric. Third and two, third and two quarterback sneaks out of the goal line formation, thinking that mm-hmm. was going to work. Burning all your timeouts in the first and third quarter. <laughs> it was, I mean, it was ele- Austin P was an electric factory. So mm-hmm. uh, shout out to to Scotty Waldrop and, and the Govs. Oh my God! I I looked at my father-in-law when that happened. I was like. They're doing a QB sneak from the two-yard line against Tennessee's front. <laughs> this is bonkers. Like, I don't know what world he's living in, but I respect it that uh, yeah. that, that was the call there. Uh, he didn't get in, folks, by the way, uh, on that call. Uh, also here, always college football, Jack Foster. Jack, good evening. How are you? I'm doing well, man. It's the best time of the year. Football's, like, officially all the way back today because we got Scott Hansen mm. and seven hours of commercial-free football today to enjoy. So, man, yeah, vibes are high. I'm Maybe not for Tennessee, but for life right now is great. I mean, the vibes are high. You know, it's I, I tweeted out like uh, I mean, just the whole Ryan's got this on lock. The the toxic trait being like I I say we're done, and then it's yeah. just right after that we're so back. The Falcons today, where I'm just like we're so done. Uh, Desmond Ritter negative twelve passing yards after the first quarter, just looking rough uh, by and large throughout the whole game, and then. The Falcons, three turnovers, totally different defense. Jesse Bates looking like uh, the best safety in football. And then I'm like, we're so back. Teams that win week one make the playoffs in a really, really high fashion. You get the dub at home against Bryce Young and company. I feel good. And then, I, But I was also just like, do I want to deal with this Arthur Smith offense, this run, 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 and then just no faith whatsoever in Desmond Ritter to throw the ball downfield. And then also... The Tennessee Volunteers, no faith in Joe Milton to go downfield, so it's going to be run, run, run. Are my weekends ruined? Is my fall already ruined? Is that where I'm at? That's that's what was going through my mind as I'm at this sports bar drinking my club soda, taking notes on the Falcons where people are coming to me. Like, I've never seen someone take notes at a sports bar, just everything else. I'm like, no, this is actually what the cool kids do. This is uh, this is what you do to prep for the pod. Um, that's that's how I live uh, on the weekend, but I, I don't know. It's it's been It's been a weekend, guys. Yeah. As far as your Falcons take, yes, because you have Bijan Robinson who needs Love even looks so good. And Drake London didn't catch a pass, so no, he got targeted like twice, maybe once. He had a bad drop. But actually, quick uh, thing on the Falcons, I have a bet with my roommate mm-hmm. that I'm I'm betting that the Falcons win ten or more games, and he's betting that they win eight or less, mm. and nine's a push. So that's why you're on the podcast and your roommate's not. That's right, exactly. Get that guy out of here. <laughs> tell him i said that get that guy out right, here we'll do um well we have a lot to parse through here um now i'm glad we don't do these right after because i would just get kicked off youtube if we did a live reaction show from any tennessee football game it just it wouldn't work it would just be the end of my uh career covering uh the vaults here locally um build a lot of enemies very quickly so we're not going to do that uh that's never going to happen uh i need to sleep on it i need to take a walk touch some grass find some morning dew out there before i hop on the uh hop on the old podcast here but we're going to talk about what ultimately happened and now that it's been 24 hours your biggest takeaway that you're still thinking about from the vols austin p game last night ryan was what how's it not just how bad Tennessee's passing offense was I think mm. that's the obvious one if Tennessee's passing offense was much better I don't think you're really talking about uh any of those things you know panicky things or worrying things about Tennessee's offense and uh you know I guess just uh get the conversation started on it uh, I thought you know going back and watching 
the replays of some of those plays today and not just seeing it from the press box. I thought more of those drops that were not great throws were more inexplicable drops than I thought at the time. Um, and that doesn't mean Joe Milton was great. Again, I think I said this in our text thread last night when we were discussing the play. Poor play to receivers, but even receivers play bad when you abandon throwing the ball past the line of scrimmage in the second quarter against the FCS team, the quarterback's not playing well too. So mm. there was blame to go around. Um, but yeah, certainly the passing offense and its failures was to me by far the story of the game. Yeah, that's the story. Easy. Um, just the fact that there was no downfield passing at all. Joe Milton continues to struggle with that, you know, 15 to 20 yard range, especially on crossing routes going across the field. And, you know, that's something Hinden did really well in and, I don't know. It just it leaves a bad taste in your mouth when Joe Milton can't make those throws. Yes, the receivers had a bad game, but I do have more long-term worry about Milton and his inability to hit those throws consistently and to make accurate passes than I am the receivers just having a bad day all around. It's also weird that I'm seeing a lot of like, hey, remember at Pitt last year, the offense looked shaky and we were all panicking. I'm like, that's not the same. They were still cooking late. They still found their gear. Yeah. Cedric Tillman was still unguardable in that game you felt good about where Cedric Tillman was and just like the safety valve there like I think it's a little bit different context and also a much better team in Pitt and Austin on the road on the road too that's another part of it I just I don't think that's a fair comp to be like look we we struggled out of the gate and I mean I don't know do you think it's a fair comp that Tennessee in the first three years of Hypel has seemingly kind of always been a slow starter maybe that's we have to re readjust how we look at this team that they kind of need a couple weeks couple games before they get rolling on and clicking on all cylinders is that possible maybe um I, i've kind of thrown the first year out of the window because the quarterback change so yeah. it's hard to you know talk about that year compared to the other two but last was year, there anybody in common with that first year in the quarterback now <laughs> i don't know if it if it got thrown to me first i was going to say well it might just be the Joe Milton, Joe Milton thing. Uh, yeah. But I mean, last year, I wouldn't really say they started slow. They, they hung 59 on Ball State and mm-hmm. it was better than Austin P, I think. And then, yep. um, you know, scored fine against Pitt and then obliterated Akron. So, no, I wouldn't really buy into that as being a, a theme you see from Hypel offenses. But another reason I just love Tennessee fans, it's like, well, we didn't run through the T. Like yeah. everything got shaky. I, I love that. That's a college football thing where it's like, look, everything got everything after that. You got to throw it out the window. We weren't able to r- run through the tee. Like everything was different. We're wearing gray uniforms. <laughs> there was lightning. There was all, all kinds of uh, the, a sea of issues here. I don't know. I think my strongest takeaway is I don't know what Tennessee like when I don't know what they can do to get this rolling midseason in terms of the offensive flow, because the problem that you're going to see is that Jalen Wright is clearly the best player on this offense. Like he's now still averaging basically 10 yards a carry through two weeks. Um, Dylan Sampson gets significantly less carries this week. I don't really know why that was the case, but um, Jalen, the the offense, Ryan, you spoke to this last week was just like the it, this year has to be a run to set up the pass. And a lot of people are talking about like they're in quarters a lot and Tennessee and I mean, Austin P and Virginia both took away the deep ball and they're just sending a lot of people back. Like what happens in the SEC? Are they going to play the same way or are they those deep shots going to open up more because teams are going to load up the box and they're not going to give Tennessee and Jalen Wright those lanes up front? I just 
I just wonder what kind of deep rhythm and kind of passing rhythm this team can get in when it's clear the emphasis should be on Jalen Wright, Dylan Sampson, and Jabari Small because I think that's just how this team is going to win the majority of their football games this year is relying on that trio. And I mean, Joe even spoke to it. It's like we have a three-headed monster back there. But I think, I, I just I think that's my strongest takeaway is that like if that's the case through two weeks and especially here last night. How does that change how this offense and how the passing game is going to go? Because everyone's like, how do we get in sync? How do we get in rhythm? Can you get in rhythm similar to what it was a year ago if you're a run first team and you're not getting those same opportunities that you had last year? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I, I think that's a crazy narrative to think you, not that you're going to pass the ball with the same effectiveness and efficiency maybe that you did last year, but to think your passing game can't get into a rhythm just because you're a run first, uh, I think is completely misguided. And you talk about, Teams taking away the deep stuff, you know, to quote Josh Heupel, there was stuff over the middle, mm. wide open. <laughs> so, I mean, it, it, there's stuff, those throws you got to make. And it goes back to something I talked about in the offseason that all those defensive coordinators last year talking about Tennessee or head coaches either saying, you know, you just got to take away the big play, get set, mm. don't let them, the coverage breaks. Well, that didn't work against Tennessee last year because they were so good in the short passing and the intermediate passing and the running football. This year, uh, if you do that and you take away a deep shot, can Joe Milton beat you with other, you know, take a Rick Barnes analogy. Can he beat you with the putter? Can he beat you with the wedge? Does he have the different clubs in his bag to beat you? And through two weeks, he has not uh, in Tennessee's run game. It has some effectiveness. Um, but I don't necessarily think that just because they're leaning on the run game, I guess to go back to your original question, uh, that means you, you can't get into a rhythm passing the ball, uh, especially. Well, what I'm saying is not that you can't, I'm just saying that like, I think they just have to go away from their bread and butter more. Do you get what I'm saying? Where like last year they didn't feel like they had to. This year for them to get rolling through in their passing game, they just need more reps and they need to run less. Uh, that's just part of what I'm saying. It's like I don't know if that's just overthinking it, but like they need to rut pass to set up the run more to get in that kind of rhythm they had a year ago, and it takes away the best player they have in the office. Does it, does that make sense, or am I overthinking it? I think you're overthinking it personally. Okay. I'll let I, I'll let Jack give his feedback, but that's my take. No, I think you're overthinking it too. And, you know, just, yeah, I'm not going to spend too much time talking about how <laughs> if Tennessee is just a running team, that means they can't get offensive rhythm. That I'm not really going to entertain that. But I, I will entertain just the fact that Tennessee needs to run the ball a lot more. And I do think that when they're in games that they could actually lose, because even though it was 6-6 six to six with a minute and 30 left in the first half, no one ever thought Tennessee was going to lose to Austin Peay. And no mm -hmm. one for even a second thought, they had any threat of losing to Virginia. So when Tennessee is in these games, such as maybe Florida or potentially even UTSA or definitely A&M down the road that Tennessee could lose, are we going to see them just can lean on their playmakers more? And the best playmakers on this offense are the running backs. I think the answer is yes, because when mm. it comes down to it, you're not going to try and get too cute and then lose games. I don't think Heupel, you know, I think Heupel's too smart for that. So I feel like we'll see more and more right and small as Tennessee's schedule gets tougher. I like it. Um, Jack, more to blame last night the wide yep. receivers or joe milton who do you place more of the blame for the offensive struggles on i think uh just in terms of last night the wide receivers because there was never any outside of the brew mccoy uh should have been touchdown that one was just a really bad throw from joe milton but the others were bad throws but it wasn't egregious and i thought some of those drops specifically you know bruise on the first play mccallan had a bad drop of course, the Dante Thornton play that would have been six. Yeah, I uh, yeah, I, I place more of the blame on the pass catchers there. But like I said earlier in the podcast, 
a more long-term worry about Joe's inability to make good throws there and to, to hit the receivers where he's supposed to. Do you share that sentiment, Ryan? Yeah, I think Jack said it really well. It's what he said earlier. Last night, I think more of the issues fell on the receivers. But again, in the long term, like the fact that Joe, you expect the receivers to catch those passes, but you know, Joe's general accuracy, he just hasn't looked super sharp at any point. So more on that. But again, I, I, he just goes back to what I said earlier. If Joe was putting those balls on the money, and even if they're dropping them, they're still going back to that well because there's still a lot of confidence that Joe's going to put the ball in the right spot and make the right decisions. I think his confidence maybe wavered or a little bit last night when those drops happened early, uh, and certainly there just was not a steadiness that even if you have drops, if your quarterback's playing real well and you have confidence in your quarterback, you don't have that shakiness and uneasiness that I think Tennessee's offense had. Yeah, and I wonder too, when y'all go back, would you say, how would you div- divvy up the bad Joe throws versus wide receiver faults for the issues here last night? Would you say it was 50-50? Was it 60-40 receivers? Was it, wh- what would yeah. you put the percentage at there? Yeah, I would say six more, like I said, more on the receiver side, 60-40, 70-30, but it, mm. it's still both both were at fault because mm. if Joe makes better throws, they're probably catches. But like I said, they just weren't egregious outside of the brew miss in the red in the end zone. So mm. I would give more blame to the receivers. Ryan, are you worried at all about Ramel's confidence through two weeks based on what's happened here? The fumble and I think did you see him? Was he really upset? Was that something I had seen like after that the fumble? A, a question was asked about that. Okay. Saying he was really upset from one of the TV reporters who's obviously down on the field. Yeah. You know, having not seen, you know, watch Ramel Keaton there, I, you know, I feel like that maybe be analysis. Yeah, I mean, I think his confidence probably is a little bit shaken. He hasn't been very good through two weeks mm-hmm. and just hasn't been able to get into any sort of a rhythm. Is it, you know, I would think Dante Thornton's confidence is pretty bad right now. And, yeah. you know, I think you've got to give Brew McCoy a lot of credit for kind of, uh, again, I'm pulling out the Rick Barnes things, but kind of a Rick Barnes style of football where he hasn't been great the two weeks but he's still playing really hard he had a great downfield block that set up the mccollin castles touchdown he's playing his part but even him you know and not that i think his confidence hasn't been great but he has had some drops or at least some contested catches that tennessee needs him to make that he hasn't made so i don't know if it's necessarily anything different from the rest of that receiver room right now can you see when y'all are up in the sky like what is it really there's just nothing there? Are they taking shots? Do you think it's the offensive line just being a little too shaky? Like, do you think if Cooper plays the last two weeks that they're taking more deep shots? Like, what do you think is the biggest reason that they have only completed one deep shot all season long to this point? I don't, I'll go first. I don't I don't really have a good answer for that. I mean, play calling and just... I, I'm not going to put the blame on the offensive line. I guess that's the main no, thing I, I want to say here because... Through two games, I know it's less, you know, bad opponents, but the, the offensive line has looked really fine to me, better than I think we all expected. So, not putting the blame on, blame on them on them there, but maybe it's just lack of separation. Uh, I think a lot of it's play calling and just the way the offense is running right now. Well, I wonder too. Like they're just not even trying them. Like the Ramel shot was the only ball that's traveled yeah. that far, right? Like they haven't even taken a shot. Like they they're not even looking that direction. No, I mean that's what. Last night, like, there wasn't, like, one instance you said, like, you know, seeing guys open, you can't see on TV. Like, there wasn't one mm-hmm. instance of a play last night. You now, granted, Tennessee didn't do any passing even forward uh, after mm-hmm. the first quarter, hardly. But there was never a time where I was like, oh, yeah, that guy was open. Joe missed him. Like, 
they didn't have guys running open. I don't think they've really, even in the first quarter when they were trying to take, uh, you know, they were a little more aggressive in the passing game. It was largely in the intermediate passing game. And I think some of that's just how teams have defended them. And some of it's the play calling. And I think Jack makes a good point too. Some of it could just be uh, not a ton of separation from the receivers, especially on the outside, I think to this point. Yeah. And we saw Dante significant drops in uh, not passes, but in snaps, like he did not yeah. get a lot of snaps this week. Well, I'll add this. When we think about Tennessee's deep threats, we don't think brew or even Ramel, yeah. you know, not as much, but Ramel too. We think Dante and Squirrel, and I feel like yeah. Squirrel has been used a lot around the line of scrimmage, and yeah. we haven't seen him unleashed in that area. And Dante hasn't seen the field enough to have those kinds of opportunities either. It's so weird too when you think about it. Like Javante Payton, success right away. Like he gets the one target, and then he's going off. But you think about just the turnover and just what Hypo had to work with right away um, in year one, and. It was just a, a lean wide receiver room and he turned to like Cedric Tillman three star who hadn't shown anything before. Um, obviously, Vilas Jones getting worked in um, late and being a USC transfer. And then obviously, Javante Payton just being like a touchdown or he is not getting the ball all year long to this year where we looked at it before the year where it's like there's just so much talent. It's like this is uh, are they going to be able to uh, not rotate and expand their receiver room because they have so many guys. And it's just weird that in year three with a surplus in talent that they've taken a step back all across the board. Um, it's just, it's just really strange. Yeah. I think some of it, that's where some of it, I think is hard to say the quarterback play and how much of that mm. makes it look worse, but like, no, the receivers haven't played well. Uh, it's clearly not just that the quarterback play isn't as good as it was when Hendon Hooker stepped in, uh, in 2021. So, uh, it's a it's a good point. I you know Ben McKee asked Typo about it last night. They did seem to hold the receivers out a lot in the scrimmages uh, in fall practice. How much has that had to do with it? Again, I don't change the subject. I have no idea why these NFL teams refuse to play their quarterbacks and receivers in, a, in preseason games. Once again, week one, all the offensive stats are way way down. Quarterback play has been pretty bad. You know that could have something to do with it. Uh, I, you know, I think that's probably what you want if you're Tennessee, because that would indicate that it's going to get better as the season goes on. But no, you're right; it is a surprising kind of early season development. Biggest standout on defense, Ryan. Last night was who? Is it Aaron Beasley? Or is there someone else? I mean, he was the best player on Tennessee's defense. Uh, Wesley Walker, I also thought played really well. Um, from a guy that again, Aaron Beasley is the best player on Tennessee's defense. So. Even though he played really well, you expect him to go play really well. Wesley Walker, to me, looks like, from what we've seen two games in, again, Tennessee hasn't really faced a good pass offense, but to me, looks better. It looks like, like an upgrade over Trayvon Flowers last year to me. Uh, and then Jeremiah Thielander was awesome. You know, and obviously he didn't play a ton early in the game, but uh, got a ton of snaps in the second half, and I thought it was just good instincts and really, really sound all around. Thumbs up or thumbs down on Elijah before you go, Jack? What, what did you see? Because I it looked like Elijah was not uh, having the best day, uh, by and large. Yeah, I would kind of go middle. Uh, well, if you're going to make me go one, I'd go down. Um, he didn't yeah. play as well as he did against Virginia. He played a lot better than Aaron Carter did, too. So, you know, it wasn't like he was terrible either. Yeah. I think it's tough to have a good day when you get absolutely wrecked by an offensive lineman. He did. First quarter, early in the first quarter. First that drive. Great. First drive, yeah. Yeah, that didn't that didn't look great. Also, I don't know why they were calling targeting. I didn't think that was targeting. I think he got wrecked, and it's an illegal block, but I didn't think uh, it was targeting. Like, on the broadcast, they were, like, making it seem like, wow, I'm surprised. I was like, I didn't think that was targeting. I just it thought it was targeting a, at all. Vault Twitter uh, thought it was. 
Yeah, I didn't. That wasn't targeting. That that was not targeting. Jack, your biggest defensive standout was who? Yeah, Ryan took the two. Aaron Beasley and Wesley Walker. I'll say this about Aaron Beasley. You know, obviously, Keenan Pilly didn't play last night, and I'm not concerned at all with the linebacker depth. Even if Herring's having an off day and Perry and Carter are still green, I'm fine with Tennessee's linebacker unit with how well Aaron Beasley's playing right now. He's mm. the best player on the Tennessee defense. He has all SEC potential, something we've been saying for a while now. And, man, he's just a game wrecker, and he showed it last night. And then Wesley Walker, I just love the way he hits people. Like, mm. he just has so much intensity, and that's such a good thing to have on your defense, a guy like that, a dog, if you will. And then we got to give Kamal Haddon his flowers for finally turning his head and making an interception. Tennessee's first pick of the year, so hats off to him, I guess. I mean, you get – yeah, I mean – Kamal is just we're gonna have to be okay with it it's just Kamal giveth Kamal take away like that's just he's the Angelo Hall for us like it's just he's gonna do something awesome he's gonna have a pick six in an important game maybe it's Florida and he's also gonna get toasted uh, a lot this year I just and some bad defensive PIs like get get ready folks Graham Mertz is going your way Kamal on Saturday they are going to find you and they are going because like Danico had one drive where he gave up like a combined 80 yards on two plays yeah when he flipped Yes, the one he yeah. slipped and he got targeted right before that too. And that was it. But they through two weeks, something I've jotted down is like they're not really throwing Danico's way. Like Danico by and large has not really been targeted through two weeks. It's always Kamal. Mm-hmm. Um and I also thought the cornerback rotation was interesting because it was basically him. Yeah, it was the dead even and then Warren Burrell and Gabe Judy Lolly um at those spots. So that just seems like the the four comfortable and then McCall and Wesley Walker. I hope you guys are uh, staying uh, in the, on the cardio machine because the snaps aren't going anywhere. You're playing 80 <laughs> snaps, uh, gentlemen, and that's not changing anytime soon. Yeah, no, I. it's probably not the best uh, version of the meme, but verbal meme, the Adam Silver one, and it's just like Tennessee fans, get ready to w- watch Jalen McCullough play 85 snaps every Saturday, buddy. <laughs> yeah, the, <laughs> yeah, the get, get ready to learn, Mandarin. Yeah. yeah, that's... Mm. It's like, get ready, ball fans. You're, there's nothing you can do about it. Jalen McCullough is playing 85 snaps every Saturday, and you're going to like it. Um, also, so, sneaky yeah. great name, uh, sneaky great uh, voice, Wesley Walker. Listen to him in the post game. top-notch voice. He's got a future in the voice game. Okay. He should be, there like, it's a voice for a good HBO show. I need Wesley Walker on HBO show in a couple of years. I think he'd be good. I'm glad you brought up the corners, though. Because it was pretty dead even snaps. And not that you can't play Warren Burrell. You can't get Gabe Judy Lolly snaps either. Like, I'm not saying that. But to me, and even the PFF grades didn't really necessarily reflect this, but it, Slaughter and Haddon do, to me, tremendously feel like their best options. Like, I mm. think they are definitively, maybe not by a long shot, uh, but I do think they're definitively their two, their two best corners. I would agree. Um I don't even want to do a biggest standout on offense because it's Jalen Wright, right? Like there's really nowhere else you could go. Like I wouldn't say anyone else stood out in a positive way on offense. I mean, maybe Mincy yeah. has solidified the right tackle spot. Like what are we doing if Mincy's yeah. not starting on the swamp? Crawford looked silly a couple times last night. Yeah. Dane Davis also had a really rough night. Like that was one of my, I jotted down where I was like, Dane Davis was not, not good at center last night. I think, you know, one thing I'll bring up is you bring up Jalen Wright and this probably should have been said like 10 minutes ago because it fits more to conversation there. But I think a, a fascinating thing when you talk about Tennessee's offense and the getting into rhythm with the passing, really all of this, it was the big positive we, we joked about last night. Everybody's offense in the SEC, at least on Tennessee's schedule, looks terrible. 
Like, yeah. no one has been convincing. So all of a sudden, you know, the vibe going into these games changes. Where last year, two years ago, it was like, all right, Tennessee, you got to score 30, 35, you're going to have a chance. Well, mm. all of a sudden, that changes. And in a lot of these games, you think you can win scoring less points. And your defense can hold up a lot better because the defense has improved and the competition's not great. And you don't continue to trust Joe Milton a lot. It's like I could just see Tennessee playing and Josh Heupel just coaching more conservatively. I mean, he's coached extremely aggressively the first two years. I'll be curious to see how much he adjusts or adapts uh, if the offense doesn't find a rhythm of just playing it a little more conservatively and putting more trust into the defense. And I, I just think you could see Tennessee play games in a different fashion uh, and co- Josh Heupel coach games in a different fashion than we've seen this first two years. I like it. Uh, Jack, the biggest officiating blunder in this one was which one? You have a lot of choices here. Um, in one of the worst called uh, yeah. Tennessee games I've seen in a long time. Uh, which was the worst one for you? Um, Probably the fumble. Yeah, I'm going to go with yeah. the fumble. Should have been a fumble. I mean, Also, it was Tyler Barron, right, who picked it up? No, Aaron Beasley. Oh, Aaron Beasley picked it up. I, I was going to say. Wanted it out. Beasley picked it up, returned it across midfield. But yeah, they call it incomplete pass, right? If I'm not mistaken. Yes, they did. Yeah, well, they even reviewed it ball. and still said incomplete yeah, pass. Terrible. Um, the, the DPI in the end zone yeah. got a lot of attention. Yes, but to a lesser degree for me than the fumble. Yeah, but, and I think even Kamal Haddon's like pass interference was pretty weak. Like he's pulling up and everything else. I, the dude falls over. Like I don't think that was really pass interference. That was a gift on that front, especially if you're going to call it the other way. Like that was the whole thing where it's just like, what are we doing? This isn't yeah. consistent. Like if no, you're going to make okay. these kind of ticky tack calls and also the holdings for me, Ryan, where I'm just like, they're just slinging dudes. Like if there are any positive runs in this game, it's because there is some massive holding on the defensive line here. And that, that was just something I jotted down. But what, what was the most egregious for you, Ryan? Uh, it was the no call on the special on Tennessee's punt when oh. I can't remember who, Warren Burrell was just getting... Yes. I mean, there was one the one dude just threw him to the ground, you know, fine, mm. whatever you're playing. The guys, the refs is standing right, the lights <laughs> standing right there watching it. And then the second guy just comes and jumps on him and starts punching him. And the guy just doesn't throw doesn't throw a flag. And because he doesn't throw a flag, and we almost had a full fight on his hands between both teams. So to me, that was the you know, when you talk about actual effect on the game and calls that I with Jack, I don't understand how that wasn't a fumble, but to me, that was just the most egregious because I, I was watching like that on the play. I saw it happen immediately, and I was like, how in the world do you not throw a flag there? Can I also say on the offense, he counts. I'm going to throw my offensive player of the week. Charlie Campbell's a dog. Love Charlie Campbell. Got a great leg on him. Charlie Campbell's good. Like Chase McGrath. Oh, thank you for your service. I'll always remember the Alabama kick forever, but Charlie Campbell has got a cannon. And I feel like it's going in every single time. Like Charlie Campbell is probably the most comfortable I've been with a, a Tennessee kicker in a long time. Charlie Campbell is that dude. This better not come back to bite me in Gainesville this, is an this weekend. This is an unbelievable take after his first game against Austin P when he didn't make a kick over like 40 yards, did he? Hold on. 37 was they looked great. They were good from 60. He does have a good leg. I think a better leg. Than his McGrath. leg is but strong. McGrath, McGrath was just like, a, yeah. Did Chase McGrath miss a kick under 40 yards in his two two years? I'm Tennessee? saying that's he wasn't going anything but past 40 yards. Those things were uh, a yeah. prayer past 40 yards. Is, Campbell can kick true. 60 plus. Like Campbell's got a leg. <laughs> Campbell Campbell's got a leg. You're Up basically that. you're basically Dabo being like, all right, there's no <laughs> there's no reach on our kicker except for you've all you've done is watch Charles Mc, or uh, 
Charles Campbell make a couple 30, 30 to 40 yard field goals in a game and you go, he's good for 60. <laughs> no, no, coach, coach, coach Heupel. He's good from 60. Let him kick it. Dude, it, God, can you imagine me on? I, I just, hype. get me in there. I can, I can help. Just be like, uh, no, he's got it. I just need to be in his ear. Be like, he's good from 60. Are you sure? Yeah, got it. Give him the look. Jackson Ross was good too after his first play. Yeah, Jackson Ross was a lot better. Uh, also the kick. I always forget his last name. The kickoff specialist. Turbyville. What is it? What is it? Josh Turbyville. Turbyville. I never want to say Turbyville. I want to say Tuberville. Turbyville. He kicked another one out of bounds. So I don't know what uh, yep. what we're doing there. But if that happens against Florida, uh, you're you're walking home, buddy. You're, <laughs> you're walking ten, home, Buster. You're ready to walk, buddy. Ten yards to fill his field position. <laughs> Gonna have you rocking 500 miles back to Knoxville. <laughs> Sorry, partner. Um, what's the most uh, dad way of talking to somebody when you're pissed off? Buddy, partner, buddy, pal, pal, sport. Yeah, <laughs> sport. No, sport's kind of nice. Sport's like a yeah, grandfather thing. Like, hey, sport. Nice. Like, sport. I don't have a negative connotation. So my dad says, "Listen, buddy, that's that's <laughs> game over, I think sir." Buddy is the ultimate yeah. middle-aged white one. guy. Nice, mad. Yes, language. 100%. Um, do you expect the deep balls to come against Florida now that they only have one true deep ball uh, through two weeks dropped by Romel, as we talked about in the Virginia game? What is your expectation, Ryan? Do you think that we're going to see a lot of downfield bombs in this game early and often? What does your gut tell you? My gut tells me not early and often. I think you see more than you've seen the first two weeks. I don't have a great feel for how many. I think more than the last two weeks, still not a ton overall. I just think Florida will play a little more aggressive. I don't, I don't know. To me, and this is greater preview, this game pretty simply comes down to who will run the ball better. If Tennessee mm. can, can, can run the ball and control the offensive line of scrimmage, I think they'll win. Um, well, and if they do that, they will take more shots because Florida will be forced not to play conservative like everyone else has. Almost add on to your point there, and I think Tennessee's run defense significantly better than Florida's, but who will run the – like, who will just run the ball more? Because Florida got away from the run against Utah, and Tennessee mm. needs to run the ball more than they have. But uh, as, as far as the deep passes go, I actually think we'll see a couple of attempts early. Um, I don't know if they'll work. I mean, Utah had one, so mm. you've seen it work against that defense. First already. play, right? Yeah, very first yep. play. Bryson Barnes, bomb. But, yeah, I think they'll try it a couple of times, but – I still think Tennessee will be pretty conservative and just try to get out of there with a win. So that means running the ball more, like I said. God, they're both going to try and run the ball. You you know that a game's going to be just a slot fest when you go into an SEC rivalry game where both coaching staffs don't trust their quarterbacks to do anything downfield. Like, that's just a recipe for disaster. Like, what we're going to look at here. The slop that I'm ready for on Saturday is second to none. And us having to play at night, so you have to just sit there all day waiting for the slop to happen. I'm just gonna be pacing around the house, uh, like just, uh, I, I just it's gonna be a, it's gonna be a day. Um, when looking at the snap counts this week, Jack, what surprised you the most? Who, in terms of snaps, uh, overall, surprised you the most? I think it's just been a surprise for the course of the season, and even amplified by last night is Dante Thornton. I mean, he only played eight snaps mm. last night, and I can't remember the snap count against Virginia. Maybe, Ryan, if you remember. He got a lot more. Did he get in the 20s? Yeah, he was like low 20s against Mm. Virginia. But uh, he's just not a part of the game plan, really, at all. So uh, it seems like Tennessee has a clear-cut top three receivers when we thought it would be top four. Um, 
feels like it's Squirrel Brew and Ramel's core now. So, yeah, then unless something changes against Florida soon, it doesn't feel like Dante Thornton's going to be a big factor in this Tennessee offense, which is, you know, a bummer for Tennessee's sake because I feel like he still has a lot of potential, but just not getting it done. Ryan, what about you? Was that uh, your biggest Dante Thornton? Uh, my biggest was Nico Iamaliava, but we know, yeah, why that's he, good point. we know why he he didn't play. So I'll say Dylan Sampson. I mean, not only did – as I was going to say, you talked about the discrepancy in carries and him getting a big drop-off. It wasn't just that, like, he was out there in terms of the passing and, like, it just – oh, bad breaks. He didn't get a bunch of carries. Like, he just wasn't out there much, really, mm-hmm. at all. So to me, that surprised me a, a good bit. And, you know, the one thing I will say on Dante Thornton, obviously he's been extremely unimpressive for two weeks. When a game like last night turns into what it did in the second quarter where Tennessee's just throwing screen passes, that's not a Dante Thornton game. Like, if Dante Thornton's going to have a big role, Tennessee's going to have to start taking a lot more shots, kind of to hmm. the last topic of conversation. I like it. Final two here, gentlemen. Um, UF, the line down to four and a half. The balls in favor of this one were probably inching towards by the game time three three and a half is what we're we're inching closer and closer to this just being a coin flip uh to the balls on the road in Gainesville um in your estimation Ryan how nervous should Vol fans be about losing against the worst Florida team that uh we've seen in 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 a while and probably the best position for the Vols to get a dub uh in the swamp in 20 years very nervous I mean it's you know, four four points point spread. Like, that's not quite a toss-up, but pretty close. And uh, Tennessee is going on the road, which they weren't particularly great on the road last season, especially mm-hmm. in games that weren't played at 11 a.m. Um, with a quarterback that doesn't have a whole lot of road starting experience. So I think there's plenty of questions about Tennessee. You know, I think still right now I would pick them to win uh, as of Sunday night. But, uh, yeah, this is certainly a game they can lose. It certainly feels – in a lot of ways, kind of like a Billy Napier, you know, circle of wagons game early in his second season. Like they need, they need this one. And uh, I think it'll be a good environment. And certainly Tennessee looking so bad yesterday, I think will give a burst of confidence uh, to Florida fans that otherwise might've kind of come into this game a little bit lulled and pessimistic. Jack, what about you? How nervous should ball fans be based on where the spread is right now and what we've seen in the first two weeks? Let me ask you a quick question before I answer. Um, what did y'all, th- you know, before yesterday, what do you mm-hmm. think the line would have been? It was like eight and a half. Before. Yeah, it was eight and a half. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Or nine. It's dropped. In- I think it was I nine. Think it was, I think it was seven and a half in the offseason, nine after the Utah game. Yes. I don't know if it adjusted after Tennessee, Virginia. I yeah, so over a touchdown. Yeah. Mm. yeah. It was basically yeah. cut in half. I'm a bit nervous about it, but... And I said this on our post-game podcast for Rocket Top Insider last night, that if Tennessee plays like they did against Austin P, you know, just repeat that performance, I don't know if they win another game on their schedule because, to me, Austin P is still that bad of an opponent mm-hmm. and Tennessee was just that bad offensively. I, I feel like it's the worst offensive performance we've seen in the Josh Heupel era. So, yeah, I'm a little worried about this Florida game. Certainly more worried than I was entering the season, but I, I still got to stick to my guns. I think Florida's a terrible football team, and Tennessee will still win. I'd pick them to cover that four point four and a half. My gut tells me too. Like Heupel is an aggressive guy. He wants continuity. He wants this offense to hum. Like we've it's we've never seen a lull over the course of a full season with Heupel as an offensive coordinator, coach, whoever in the college game. Mm-hmm. Joe Milton will not be the quarterback by the end of the year if this is what it looks like by week eight, week nine. Uh, that, I think that won't happen. 
if they, I think if they lose against Florida and it's it's pretty bad, they don't have. I don't think there's any chance they get blown out. But if they lose and the offense is still pretty bad, I think you could start to see, yeah, maybe something. Because then you're looking at a home game against UTSA, who survived, um, but like they were projected to be a New Year's Six team <laughs> uh, before the yeah. year, and that's not going to be an easy game. And you're going to see Harris, who's a good QB, coming in here, and they're not going to be intimidated. They just saw Austin P push Tennessee around a little bit. Like that is, I'm not saying Tennessee fans should be nervous about losing that game, but I also said before the year. I was like, UTSA at home is just one to circle in terms of what this is going to look like for Tennessee. I think these next two weeks are gigantic and we'll be at an inflection point, the quarterback spot, because if Joe Milton figures it out and has a great day at the Swamp, I think we'll be fine the rest of the way. If he struggles and they lose, and then if he struggles and loses, then I just would anticipate the similar struggles popping back up against UTSA at home. And then you're looking at a full month of quarterback struggles. And I just, I don't think Hypel goes a full year um, with Joe Milton under center if the offense just isn't humming the way it should be. It's certainly possible. Um, yeah, I, I'm going to write about it later in the week, so I guess tease for future article out there. Maybe it will be by the time you're listening to this. I wrote about it in the offseason how we will we'll talk about the secondary and the offensive line, all fall camp. Is, these are the biggest question marks. But I wrote about how Joe Milton, number seven, is the biggest question mark for Tennessee. And that question mark has just gotten bigger maybe add a second one onto it. And it is just all coming into a head at the moment. We all knew the Joe Milton question. Even if he played great the last two weeks, he would not have gotten over to hump and fully cleared the Joe Milton question hump until he goes down to Florida and plays well and wins. So mm-hmm. that question is just getting bigger and bigger. Um, and certainly to a hundred percent Jack's point, Florida does not have an offense that can beat Tennessee. If Tennessee's offense plays well, that means if Tennessee loses this game, Joe Milton, Maybe doesn't necessarily play bad, but he didn't play good. If Joe Milton plays good, Tennessee wins this game, yeah. uh, which brings everything just to a complete head. And you're right. It'll be fascinating if Tennessee does lose to see how aggressive Josh Heifel gets to make a change. Um, but you're right. It, it's just it's what I said earlier when you were like, Tennessee will lose to Florida and beat Alabama. Like If Tennessee loses to Florida, things are going to crumble uh, at least a little bit. Well, I'll say this. If Tennessee loses this game, I just don't see how – like Tennessee allows Florida to score 24 more points. So if Tennessee yeah. loses, it's 20 to 13 at the max to me, probably more on the page of 16 to 13, 16 to yeah. 10, something like that. So it's going to be a really ugly game if Tennessee loses. Yeah. Cause the defense isn't a problem. Like the defense right. is going to be good. Yeah. I agree with your sentiment, Jack, where it's like, they won't get blown out. And also like the, it just, the defense is going to keep them in games, which is just pretty yeah. wild about where we're at. But the defense is, I just don't see Florida having a lot of success. So if Tennessee loses because the offense was, even probably worse than what we've seen the first two weeks. Well, I don't know if it would be worse than yesterday. I mean, pretty, pretty bad yesterday. I mean, they still put up what? What was the final score? How many total points? Was 30, it 30 what? 30, 30 points, yeah. 30 points, yeah. I mean, 30 is not a guarantee here. Well, Tennessee defense now. Yeah, I mean, you, I mean it's, you can two. score 30 points. Tennessee just ran screen passes and ran the ball. So that's mm. the eye, eye test I'm talking about here more than the pure number of points scored. Okay, I like it. Final thing here as we wrap up tonight, fellas. Um, through two weeks, what are you most certain about yeah. with this team? Uh, you want me to start or you? Yeah. Are you, you on you, offense or defense? I, I don't have an answer. This is this, I looked at it in the rundown, and it's a it's a fantastic question. Like nothing really comes to mind. So you go ahead, and hopefully I'll figure something out by the time you're done talking. I think it's pretty simple, and I feel like everyone agrees. But 
Uh, Jalen Wright is Tennessee's best playmaker and best player on offense, and he needs to be featured as much as possible. And I'll just, I'll just keep saying it. I mean, he's on pace to have 1,400 rushing yards, and he's only had 25 carries. Mm. He's averaging 9.6 yards a carry through two games, and he's only had three runs of 20 or more yards. Like, that is the most legitimate yards per carry you could probably have, you know, that's that high. You usually don't see that amount of consistency. And he's just been on a mission, man. And I'd give zero the ball as much as possible. He is their best player on offense. And that is what I'm certain about. Ryan, do you have one yet? That was a great one. Jack. Yeah. That, was, that was probably the obvious one. Uh, I, I would say that the run defense is really good again. Like yeah. Tennessee's just really solid on the defensive line. And Aaron Beasley is really, really good. He's taken another step forward. Uh, and even though you have some maybe question marks with the second linebacker with Keenan Peely out. Like Jack said earlier, I think Beasley has been so good uh, that it really dimin- diminishes uh, those concerns. I have, I have another one too. Okay. Uh, Tennessee's pass rush is in good hands for the future. And it is in good hands this year too. But when you think about why they're good this year, it's been more so, hey, did you see James Pearson game one? Or, hey, did you see Josh Joseph finally have a good game in- last night? And Jeremiah Tlander do well with his second half snaps? And even though Caleb Herring didn't get anything on the stat sheet, like just the way he runs and just the aggressiveness he plays with, it's like, yeah, that defensive front is in good hands moving Mm. forward. I like that. I'll say what I'm certain of is Volpans who discounted how special Hendon Hooker and Jalen Hyatt were a year ago are seeing it play out in real time. That like... Those were two special seasons and two special offensive players that they are not going to replace this year. That they're just not, there isn't a replacement on this roster ready to go. Squirrel's not Jalen. Dante Thornton's not Jalen. There's no one on this roster who scares Stevenson the way that Jalen did and how critical he was to keeping this thing humming. And then just Hendon Hooker and the tempo, where we have seen no tempo whatsoever through two weeks. It's wonky and... I think I'm certain that that drop-off was real and that the loss of Hooker and Hyatt simultaneously has been kind of sneaky. Dev- no, I shouldn't say devastating because just sneaky, brutal through two weeks of the new season. I, I think um, the Hinden loss, we knew like this was a possibility yeah. that there could be a really big drop-off. But the Hyatt loss, I don't think was talked about enough. So I agree there there's no one close to making plays like Jalen Hyde did. And even like, I know he didn't play a lot last year, but Cedric Tillman, when you, mm. you know, rewind two years ago, there's no one making plays like Cedric did. Yeah. So yeah, the, the drop off at wide receiver is something I didn't think would be this bad. Yeah. I mean, that's a good point about the receivers. And again, it's talking about how bad they've been to this point in the season, but I don't think a Josh Heibel coach team has ever had a receiver, a leading receiver with less than like 850 yards over the course of a season and mm. what does Tennessee's leading receiver have like 90 yards through two <laughs> games. I got, I got a couple of them that got like 90 yards, probably Ramel Keaton and squirrel yeah. white both probably have around 90 yards, but uh, there's just been no, to this point, go-to guy or, or anyone that's kind of been a difference maker. And again, quarterback always has a big deal to do with production um, for a receiver. But I think this is beyond uh, just Joe Milton, uh, the level of Tennessee's receivers have played out through two weeks. I like it. Um, Ryan, what could the good folks check out from you and the team over at Rocky Top Insider this week? Yeah, tons of stuff. Uh, kind of putting a bow on this uh, Austin P game. We will, as always, have Josh Heupel non-injury updates uh, throughout the week. And then 
everything needed uh, to get you ready for Florida as Duvall's open SEC playing games will next Saturday. There you go. What about you and Greg McElroy and company over Omaha Productions and Always College Football this week, Jack? Oh, yeah, lots of stuff. We're doing an instant reaction on Sunday mornings now, bright and early, so that's a lot of fun. Uh, latest one, Greg admits that Texas has better players than Alabama, which I imagine good. a little bit of a tough pill for him to swallow, of course. Mm-hmm. Uh, but just reacting to how the Pac-12 is the best conference in college football because we're here. Going, they're going out with a bang, so love to see it. Man, it's fun football, though, by and large. It's, it's so good. Like, Should have beat Auburn, by the way, last night. Like, yeah. just really... Just an all-time blunder late late for Cal. Should have won that game. So many turnovers. Just didn't do anything with it. Should have beat Auburn. That I mean, the bad. SEC's three power five wins are probably against conser- conservatively three of the eight worst power five teams. <laughs> yeah. And like, that's being conservative. Arizona, on, not like, many teams are Arizona. able to fend off the James Madison Bulldogs when they come into their building. Not many teams can do that, Ryan. James Madison won. That's what I'm saying. Like, so uh, uh, like the Tennessee beat Virginia. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. Virginia, Cal, and Arizona. I think Arizona is okay. Arizona, Arizona might sneaky be a decent. little bit better. I yeah. picked them to beat Mississippi State, actually. That was a bad bet. Did you see Zach Arnett post game? No, I did not. Look it up after the. I'll look it up when we're done. Is it good or bad? It's very it's good. Funny. Okay. Now I got to look this up. Ryan Shumpert, Jack Foster, always a pleasure, and I'll talk to y'all next week. Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 